Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm Allison Weisbrot, and my guest this week is Don McGuire, Chief Marketing Officer at Qualcomm. Qualcomm is a major enabler of the technology we use every day, from our smartphones to our cars to our intelligent home devices. For McGuire, telling that story to consumers alongside its manufacturing partners is key. In this episode, McGuire talks about how Qualcomm and its Snapdragon brand are rising to the forefront in communities like gaming and esports. He also dives into how the chip shortage and supply chain crisis have impacted Qualcomm's marketing plans and how technologies such as 5G and the metaverse are emerging with Qualcomm's help. Hi, Don. How's it going today? Great, Allison. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm sitting here in rainy New York City, and I know that you are here as well on a, on a trip. I am. Uh, I've been here since um, Monday evening. So yes, I'm joining you in the rain. Yes, which you're based in San Diego, so you don't get much of that out there. <laughs> right. Just enough, but not a lot. Um, and in fact, actually, this week, there's a, a kind of a heat wave going on in San Diego. So I'm, uh, I'm missing that uh, rather warm weather. Wow. I'm jealous. <laughs> so Qualcomm is a super interesting company, um, especially for for a marketer, right? Because it's sure. it's a big brand, but it's sort of a behind the scenes B two B brand. I think for the average consumer, you might have heard of it, but you're not really sure like what it does. So talk to me about Qualcomm. How do you sort of as a marketer distill what the company is and does? Sure, uh, great question. So obviously Qualcomm is the name of the company and um, it's, uh, it's our master brand. Um, we also have a, a product, a power product brand that we brand many of the products that we produce and develop and sell that go into um, a vast array of devices that uh, consumers uh, have in their, in, you know, in, their, in their household, on their person, um, in their vehicles, et cetera. And, um, and that's the brand Snapdragon, which from a consumer perspective probably has more awareness or definitely has more awareness rather and, um, and a closer association with what we do uh, in consumers' minds. But to get back to your question about Qualcomm, the company itself, you know, our, our, um, our mission is really to enable a world where everyone and everything is intelligently connected. And we do that through our, our vast array of, of products and technologies that we develop. We spend billions of dollars a year on, on research and development, inventing uh, technologies, and then developing and productizing them and selling them into you know, a vast array of ecosystems and into uh, to thousands and thousands of customers. And so, yes, we are a great enabler, um, to your point, about kind of being behind the scenes and um, in, in, in ingredients um, uh, as part of a recipe uh, for product success. Uh, as, and as a company, we have uh, a very... Um, interesting and important role in technology ecosystems um, that uh, that move sort of uh, big generational technology trends forward, such as wireless, for example, um, in in the fifth generation or whatever you know everyone commonly refers to as five G. Qualcomm was at the center of 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 that wireless generational change, as well as at the center of the 4G transition, the 3G transition, et cetera. So we've been along for the quote unquote G ride um, for, for quite some time. Um, uh, and we've been at the heart of, at the center of those massive ch generational changes in, in wireless technology that's enabled a whole new 
suite of services, uh, industries, economies, uh, and business models. And, um, and so from that perspective, we have rich history, rich DNA in, in developing and inventing fundamental technologies that kind of help the, the world move forward and, and help industries and create new business models. So it's a pretty rich story. Historically, the Qualcomm story has been a B2B quote unquote story, mainly focused on telling our story to ecosystem partners, to customers, um, to governments and, and municipalities and public agencies around the world uh, because of the good that our technology does to move societies forward, whether it's working to bridge the digital divide or whether it's to enable smart cities, um, smart campuses, and digital transformation across different industries and categories. So that's sort of the Qualcomm story as a, as a company. And it's our master brand. And we do, from a B2B perspective, my team and I do invest in building that story out and telling that story. Um, but we're very audience-led. So for the Qualcomm story, we really lead with certain audiences that it's important to to have understand who we are as a company and what we do every day. And then from the Snapdragon perspective, um, again, being audience led, it's really sort of more B2B to C uh, where we have, uh, we have pushed our, our Snapdragon brand closer and closer to the consumer uh, from an awareness, a preference and a relevance perspective so that they understand the technology inside their smartphone, their PC, their car, their smartwatch, their earbuds, whatever piece of technology that they use in their in their life uh, or throughout their life or in their lifestyle, um, more often than not, is powered by Snapdragon. And and so that's a, a journey we've been on since about 2016, um, and we've continued to grow and invest and um, and build you know sort of your your traditional uh, kind of marketing hierarchy and strategy. Uh, around uh, around um, uh, driving that association, that affinity for for Snapdragon as a product brand. So I've got a little bit of a dual personality going on uh, <laughs> with the two brands. It makes it really fun, but it's also a, a challenge. Right. Um, but I get to kind of play in the B2B space with the Qualcomm brand and telling our broader story. And then I get to push Snapdragon closer and closer to consumers and engage in a lot of really cool and uh, interesting um, consumer marketing strategies. So, yeah. um, so that's kind of the split between the two. That is really interesting. You get to have your, your B2B hat and your B2C hat on. I'm interested in the B2C portion. Like, sure. you know, for Snapdragon, like how do you get people to understand that Snapdragon is behind all of these experiences on their, on their phones or their car or whatever it is. Like, right. cause you know, the, the OEMs, the apples and the Googles, like they're the ones talking about how great their phones are. Right. And people sure. get your phone and you're happy. Right. So how do you get them to care about the technology powering it? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So um, we, we started uh, by doing a bunch of research and, um, and we looked for kind of the, the best way in into consumers sort of minds um, and, to, and how to capture mind share uh, by looking at different markets and understanding what's important to consumers when, it, when, they, when they are considering um, buying and purchasing and using devices. So for example, let's, let's use the smartphone space as an example. Um, so when, when, you, when you look at markets like China and India, 
in certain markets in Europe and Southeast Asia. Um, when you when you ask consumers what's important to them or what they're interested in knowing about their smartphones, um, more often than not, they are interested in knowing what is inside, what is the technology that's powering or driving these experiences that their smartphone is able to to give them or provide them. Um, they are more interested than, let's say, in maybe some other countries where awareness or uh, technical prowess isn't as, as high or isn't as relevant. Um, so we started our journey with Snapdragon in China, um, which where the propensity to understand and the appreciation for the technology that is inside of these devices is very high. And so, for example, Snapdragon enjoys an 87% brand awareness in China um, for what we do, for how we work with companies, really major brands like Xiaomi and Oppo and Vivo and Honor um, and Samsung uh, and Lenovo to uh, to power and and create along with our these partners these amazing experiences that people get out of your out of their devices. And we don't look at it as a disruptive message or disruptive story to what the what our our brand partners are are telling with their own story. I view it as complementary, and what I try to do and what we try to do with Snapdragon is use it as an amplifier and a complementary story to our our OEM partner story. So if Vivo's story or if Xiaomi's story is strong and their brand is strong for a lot of different reasons, uh, right? They're very, very fan-based. Um, they've got um, a ferocious and very, very loyal fan base. They, they, they deliver services uh, and they deliver really great, high-quality products at really affordable prices. And their value proposition is really strong. And then to, for them to say, and by the way, our devices are all powered by Snapdragon. Mm. It adds another layer of credibility. It adds another layer of completeness to their story. And so they're not opposed to bringing that message forward in how they talk about their products. We do that through partner marketing, through co-branding, um, uh, both from a Xiaomi-led perspective, as an example, and from a Snapdragon-led perspective. So everything that I do from a Snapdragon perspective, I always include my partners. Mm, okay. So, um, so if, if I'm talking about Snapdragon enables the most amazing camera experiences um, in your smartphone, for example, as a message, um, uh, then I, I always go to the next step with that and say, as, you know, as you know, as witnessed in the new Xiaomi Mi Mix Pro, right? Got it. Um, which which takes takes amazing pictures, um, and so it's so it's it's about this complementary message. It's about being an inclusive marketer, not an exclusive marketer. Um, and your point, your your question is a really good question because I think historically some brands have been afraid um, that if they sort of tell a more inclusive story, that somehow that takes away from their brand, um, and. Uh, I think that's changing, and I think we've we've achieved great success with with kind of co-marketing and and co-marketing and, and leveraging each other's strengths. Um, uh, uh, and we've and we've seen that manifest itself more and more in product categories that historically have not been powered by technology or not had a technology story to tell. Um, that when they bring in the Snapdragon story, it kind of brings credibility to to them moving into that space. Um, I'll right. give you an example of like Peloton or 
or the auto industry, right? The auto industry historically has not been known, obviously, auto, you know, car companies are not known as technology companies, except for, you know, maybe Tesla. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so the auto industry and most of these big car brands are moving in that direction. They know they have to become more technology led because cars are just becoming big smartphones on wheels. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the the experiences that are both being pulled from a demand perspective by consumers, as well as the environment around autonomy and safety and electrification um, and sort of um, uh, driver assistance that's being driven right throughout the entire auto ecosystem is really brought forward by companies like us and by platforms like our Snapdragon automotive platforms, which include telematics. Uh, digital cockpit and infotainment, as well as ADAS and autonomy. Um, and so for, for a company like GM, for example, who is one of our, our first big Snapdragon cross-platform customers, and, and they just uh, launched, obviously, the Cadillac Lyric, right? Their mm-hmm. first kind of fully electrified and, um, and, and ADAS-driven vehicle. They had no problem bringing our story into that, that story of the Lyric. Right. Um, and Mary Barra stood on stage at CES and talked about Super Cruise and Ultra Cruise and the fact that we were working with them to bring that experience to GM vehicles. Melissa Grady, who's a good friend of mine, the CMO of Cadillac, told that story um, about the Snapdragon ride platform and the digital chassis and enabling a lot of the experiences that the Cadillac Lyric is going to bring to, to the driver. So, um, so, so that, that, that's where it, it actually works really, really well. And it's just a matter of sitting down and having a conversation with these brands and figuring out what the, um, where the, where the win-win is, right. And, and how to tell that story. And so, um, I'm really pleasantly, um, surpri- not surprised, but I'm really happy with the progress that we've made in, in both connecting ourselves in these product categories wh- where we've got some white space and we've got some, we've got a story to tell, but doing it in a way that doesn't, take away from uh, our brand partner's story. Yeah. And so you, you guys are also doing some really interesting stuff like on the consumer front, like talk a little bit about the um, the Qualcomm eSports, the, sorry, the Snapdragon eSports League, which is sort of an interesting like example of how this comes to life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, for the Snapdragon platforms, we always try to, instead of talking about technology and speeds and feeds and specs, we always try to start by talking about experiences. And so some of the experiences that we lean in on that Snapdragon platforms enable um, are really around passion points. Gaming being one of those passion points, photography being another one, et cetera, et cetera. So um, so around gaming, for example, um, you brought up Snapdragon Pro Series. We're really excited about the partnership that we struck with ESL to to take mobile esports to the next level and really democratize esports um, globally around the world by providing this accessibility that only the mobile platform can bring um, to the esports environment. Historically, esports has been driven by really big, powerful PCs, um, multi-thousands of dollars of equipment that you, you, know, you need to own or purchase, um, or consoles, right? Um, and, and, but mobile phones and smartphones are, are, are more ubiquitous, right, across the world. And the gaming experiences that smartphones can actually deliver today versus just a year ago, two years ago, or three years ago is moving closer and closer and closer to desktop quality because of, of, the, of the Snapdragon platform, because right. of all the gaming features 
and the technologies we stuff into our little our little chips that enable true HDR, you know, bit mapping, foveated rendering, you know, a billion shades of color, um, amazing graphics, all these different pieces that make the gaming experience on the smartphone closer and closer to what they would experience on a console or on a PC, but just in a smaller screen. Mm-hmm. So, so, so because the gaming experience has gotten so good on mobile phones, gamers have started to think about gaming more ubiquitously. And it's, it's become, a, I want to game anytime, anywhere from, you know, regardless of the platform, I want to move my gaming experience from my PC to my phone or from my console to my phone and back to my console or back to my PC or to my dedicated gaming device or to my laptop or whatever. And they just want to move through their gaming experience without disruption. Um, things like the, our Snapdragon platform, as well as connectivity like Wi-Fi 7 and 5G are really enabling that to happen. So with all this movement around technology and the enablement of all these experience, we thought it was the perfect time to partner with a company like ESL, obviously the world's largest esports company, and really bring mobile esports to that next level and create the opportunity for people around the world to engage in mobile esports um, in a way that that allows people to be, kind of go from zero to hero um, on different gaming, uh, different publishers, different gaming titles, and then really build up to this master's sort of level, um, but do it in a way where it's, it's much more accessible, uh, it's much more diverse than PC gaming or console gaming, which historically has been male-driven, um, right? Historically has been uh, people who can afford uh, expensive PCs or console right. systems. And, and so it's been a little bit exclusive. And we believe mobile esports is way more inclusive, way more accessible. For example, the gender split on mobile esports and mobile gaming is much more equal mm. than, than it is than PC gaming or console gaming. So what we're calling this whole effort with ESL is the Snapdragon Pro Series is the name of the esports, global esports competition that we are launching around the world. But we're calling this the era of everyone because this really is about blowing out esports and creating this broader, open, more accessible platform for people to participate in esports, which is the biggest sporting, you know, by audience and by participation, the biggest sport in the world. 2.4 billion mobile gamers in the world. That's crazy. And so it's crazy. And and I think in China, at any given day, there are 350 million people playing mobile games on their smartphones. So it's, it's crazy big. And so harnessing that power and harnessing all that data and bringing it and putting it into an environment where we can celebrate it, we can, we can run competitions, people can come in at all different levels, um, they, can, they can participate in the Clash of Clans you know, esports competition or, or a Counter-Strike or a, an Asphalt or whatever it might be, and, and, then, and then build community around that um, and take that from a digital experience perspective as well as a physical experience perspective around the world. I think we're running competitions physically on five of the seven continents around the world um, in our in our first season. So really excited about Snapdragon Pro Series. Awesome. And it helps to elevate the Snapdragon brand and the relevance of Snapdragon in gaming yeah. within, the plat- within the mobile platform, um, as well as other platforms that we're going to bring into this uh, the Snapdragon Pro Series, like eventually uh, dedicated gaming handhelds or even um, XR mm. in the future. So, um, and the metaverse and gaming in the metaverse. So all that kind of, of stuff is, is, is on the roadmap, right, for Snapdragon Pro Series in the future. So yeah. super excited about 
about that. And then we're also using Snapdragon Pro Series as a way to bring our ecosystem of partners in as well to participate, whether it's phone OEMs, um, whether it's, you know, t other technology partners like audio partners that we have um, that have audio devices that are powered by our technologies, um, et cetera, et cetera. So super excited or whether Very it's cool. you know, mobile operators like, you know, like Verizon or, or whoever yeah. to come in and enable 5G uh, streaming gaming to, to happen as part of the competition. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds super cool. I want to actually talk a little bit about your your partner ecosystem a little bit more, because if sure. there's anything, if there's any phrase that came out of COVID, it's chip <laughs> shortage. Yes, <laughs> right? yes, 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 yes. Shortage everywhere. So talk people, about. Yeah. People now know chips is not just potato or corn. Exactly. They are actually, they're important. Chips are important. That's fantastic. <laughs> right. Um, unfortunately, it, it came with, it came with a supply shortage, but, uh, but yeah, there so is talk to me about yeah. how, like you, how that supply shortage shortage impacted your marketing strategy. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, like I said, I mean, it, what happened during the last 24 months, uh, is again, it's really unfortunate circumstances as far as why it happened. Um, but the massive upgrade cycle that um, that was that kind of came from the the global pandemic and the lockdowns and the the the, the adjustment of behavior and lifestyle that everybody in the world had to to undertake um, drove this massive acceleration in the technology adoption cycle. In fact, in the last 24 months, the technology adoption cycle has accelerated what usually takes about five to eight years. Um, so people have adopted new forms of technology and have upgraded their technology faster in this last 24 months than they have in the last five years. Um, so that's one, that's one factor, right? So with that, everybody was thinking, oh my gosh, I now have to work from home. My kids have to learn from home. I have to order all my food to be delivered. I have to be on Amazon 24 hours a day, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't have the right tools. My internet's too slow. Um, I need, I need better, I need mesh networking. I need better Wi-Fi. I need faster Wi-Fi. I need 5G. I need new devices. My devices are too old. I haven't upgraded my PC in four years. I haven't, I need a new phone. Um, oh my gosh, I need a headset. My camera sucks. I don't have a camera. Um, <laughs> right? um, and so it was, it was just massive rush to, I need to upgrade everything in my technology suite because now my home is now my office and it's my school, right? And it's, it's where I shop. Um, and so that drove this massive demand creation. Um, and I think what intuitively people thought um, in, throughout the value chain uh, in these across these product categories is, oh my gosh, global pandemic, people are going to stop spending. So because everyone's afraid, so we're going to slow down manufacturing. We're going to we're going to we're going to reforecast our orders. We're going to slow down supply chain because we're worried we're going to be caught with a bunch of inventory because people can't go out, they can't go shopping at Best Buy. They, you know, but what, what they didn't understand and what they learned qu quite quickly is that it, the actual opposite effect happened, right? Yes, they couldn't physically go into a Best Buy um, or maybe they could depending on where they were, but this massive uh, demand creation curve started to swell and it caught a lot of people off guard. It caught you know, pr product mm -hmm. companies off guard, it caught manufacturing facilities off guard, and, and where capacity had already been slowed or decommitted, it's really hard to ramp that back up, mm. right? It's really hard, you know, when you're manufacturing semiconductors to add a new line, especially with leading edge technology, 
it takes like six to eight months. Right. Right. To stand up a new line. Um, and so it's, it's complicated stuff, right? To make that little tiny chip that sits on the tip of your pinky, it's really complicated. Um, yeah. so, so it's not like the, the industry can turn on a dime. So you have this massive demand creation. You had a swell of upgrading going on. And then you had, you had these product companies goes, oh, no, I, I thought it was going to slow down, but it's actually speeding up. I need more. Mm-hmm. Right. I need more. I need more. So then all of a sudden reforecasting, pulling in of, of orders started to happen and it, and it created a huge squeeze on the entire supply chain. Um, and kind of everybody in, in certain ways was caught off guard. Now, personally, from our perspective, from Qualcomm's perspective, we are, you know, a fabulous semiconductor company, which, which means we um, outsource our manufacturing. We design all of our, pro- all of our platforms and all of our chips, and we spend billions of dollars in R&D every year to design amazing platforms. But we use manufacturing partners to manufacture those platforms um, uh, all over the world. And because we, we don't have one f- manufacturing facility, we are very diversified in our supply chain. We're also, uh, we also have scale. We're the world's largest fabulous semiconductor company as far as producing numbers of chips and platforms. So because of our scale and because we are diversified in our manufacturing, I think we've been able to weather the storm a little bit better than maybe some others. Um, and we've been able to shift supply around. We've been able to leverage manufacturing partners. We went ahead and bought capacity ahead of the curve you know, paid for that capacity. It's kind of not unlike what the airlines did, right? When there was the fuel um, shortage problem, right? They, they went ahead and bought, you know, t- they overbought fuel, um, uh, kind of hedging, right? Um, it's kind of like that situation, right? So, so I think the, the mitigation kind of tools that we had in our arsenal to try to deliver for our partners you know, I think in some ways we've done better than than others. In some ways, we're we're still we're still struggling. Demand is still very very high. Yeah. Um, demand still outstrips supply. To be to be honest with you, across the board, and it's you know it's being felt across multiple product categories. Look at cars, right? right. Um, people people didn't understand that. Wow, I, you know, there's no cars on the lot, or there's or there's very few, and it's because now these these vehicles have a bunch of technology inside of them, right? And so. Um, so it it has caused obviously a lot of pain uh, in the in the in the, in the system. Um, I think this year it's getting better. Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see it getting get getting better. Um, uh, definitely in 22. Um, I think there's normalization coming in 23. Um, but I think you'll start to see product category by product category. Um, you know more products, more more boxes on shelves, mm-hmm. more cars on lots. Right. Um, more availability of the products that people are trying to get their hands on uh, throughout this year. And then I think a, a normalization in, in 23 um, yeah. and beyond. So what happens like you say normalization, but there's there's other changes happening, right? Like companies yeah. like your partners, like Apple is starting to build its own chips. How does something like that impact Qualcomm's strategy? Um, well, I mean, Apple has, has been building their own chips for quite some time. Uh, and they actually now just uh, launched their own chips and PCs as well um, uh, recently uh, in the M1. Um, so we've known that Apple has 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 had the desire to and the strategy to kind of own the entire supply chain 
mm-hmm. for quite some time. It's not new news. It's not a surprise to us. We've worked closely with them for, for, for a number of years. Um, so it's not a surprise or a shock to us. We've planned for this uh, for a long time. Um, and we sell one piece of, of technology to, uh, to, to Apple for the iPhone. Um, it's, it's actually um, w- not really one of our highest margin um, items. Um, and so from, uh, from a financial perspective and a business model perspective, um, the, the Snapdragon platform that goes into the Android ecosystem, which is 85% of all smartphones in the world are Android smartphones, right? Um, uh, they're not iPhones. Um, it's just in the U.S., we, we tend to think of, 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 of Apple as kind of the dominant player because that's the way the market is in the U.S. You go outside the U.S., right. the rest of the world, is an, it's an Android market. Um, yeah. And so, so from a volume and from a profitability and a margin um, perspective, our Snapdragon, fully integrated Snapdragon mobile platforms inside of, inside of premium tier Android phones are worth a heck of a lot more to us than, than any one you know, modem or component. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so for us, it's, Hey, we love, we love having, you know, any customer that wants to work with us, absolutely love working with customers, but if they choose not to want to work with us, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and we've been diversifying so much Allison outside of mobile for the last five to eight years that our mobile business, although it's great and historically it's, it's been something that's driven the growth of the company and it's really where our one technology roadmap sort of starts, we've parlayed that technology goodness and all that R&D, R&D into high growth areas like automotive, like PC compute, like XR, um, like IoT, where we're starting to see, you know, over 30 plus percent of our revenues on a quarterly basis coming from product categories outside the phone. Mm, so from, yeah, so from, from that perspective, again, if customers want to use our industry leading platforms to help power their products, awesome. Love to work with them. If they don't, nothing really we can do about it. Yeah. So, um, so we move on and, and we're really excited about our opportunities for growth. And we're excited about working with ecosystems that value um, the technology and value the innovation that we bring to the table. Um, And so from that perspective, we're running on all cylinders. It's one of my great challenges, but also my great opportunities is Snapdragon has exploded across seven different product categories now where just like four or five years ago, we were in one, um, right? And Qualcomm has expanded out, you know, with, with regards to digital transformation across industrial IoT and consumer IoT and edge networking and all these other areas. So, I mean, our growth, our growth uh, and the, our pervasiveness of our technology is just exploding. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those newer areas because I think in the marketing world, it's very easy to get caught up in a lot of hype, right? Like 5G right. has been coming for like 10 years and then there's <laughs> IoT, AR, VR, all these things we hear about all the time, but it's hard to tell like how real is it? What's the hype and like where's the consumer adoption? So maybe talk sure. through like some of these categories, metaverse, like where do you see real potential and and, and where is it still a few years out? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's the tangible and then there's the, the there's the aspirational, right? Um, and there's lots of you, you bring up a great point. There's lots of these terms thrown around and, you know, some of it's a little bit ahead of the curve and some of it's just some of it's quite frankly, just talking about a vision. Um, I think one of those one of those visionary terms currently being thrown around, which has a tremendous amount of potential, 
But what form it actually takes is going to be interesting, and I don't think anybody really knows, is the metaverse. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of different points of view and lots of different opinions on what the metaverse really is or will be um, or will become and how it will manifest itself. But I think we believe there's huge potential. Um, and, and in some ways, there's, there's been, um, I guess, precursors or prequels to the metaverse have, have already manifested themselves in, in certain, certain areas, right? I don't know. I'm dating myself here, but I don't know if you remember Second Life. I do. Um, yeah. So Second Life was kind of like a precursor to the metaverse, right? It was about creating a digital twin or a digital version of your physical life, right? And, and really, this, this idea of the metaverse is really about the blending or the division, depending on how you manifest itself of the physical and the digital or the virtual. And um, if everyone, if everything and everyone's going to have a digital twin, then you're going to have, you know, your, your role to play in your life and your, um, your lifestyle in the physical world. And then you may have a role or a lifestyle or a role to play in the virtual or the augmented world. And, and so, and we think that's very, very real. Um, it's already happening in some, again, some ways like in gaming, right? And, and you know, you, there's immersive gaming. Um, there's already virtual reality uh, devices and um, experiences that exist um, in the Oculus ecosystem and the HTC Vive ecosystem. Um, there's augmented experiences that already exist um, that you can layer on uh, to your experiences. For example, the cameras inside of your inside of your smartphone devices and others oftentimes can create an augmented layer, um, 3D mapping, things like that. So there's these precursors that are already kind of happening um, that are collectively going to become more and more immersive um, and they're going to become more and more relevant as this idea of the metaverse uh, is built out. Mm. Um, again, I don't, we don't claim to like under, understand or know where it's going completely and what form it will ultimately take because I think you could argue that me the metaverse could become more relevant in a enterprise or business environment versus just a consumer environment mm. because you could, you could see yourselves in, in immersive training environments that are virtual right. versus physical. You could see yourself doing tours of, of different um, factories or plants or the brand new, you know, um, car that's being launched next year um, and, and, and seeing that in a virtual showroom versus a digital, you know, a physical showroom. Um, so there's, there's use cases that are kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, gaming obviously is a, is a natural place where the metaverse is probably going to manifest itself. Um, and other places as well, entertainment across the entertainment you know, spectrum. Uh, but, but that's neither here nor there. That's fantastic. And if it manifests itself and if people really find that useful and that's great. Um, all we know as Qualcomm is you're going to have to get into the metaverse via some device experience, right? You're going to have to put glasses on or goggles on, or you're going to have to use your phone or your PC or your car or whatever. There's going to be a device that gets you in. And chances are more often than not, that device is going to be powered by Snapdragon. Mm. So how we framed it up is Snapdragon is your ticket to the metaverse. Cool. Because no matter what your idea of the metaverse is, we provide you access, mm. right? 
because the you need a device to get in and that device may be as thin and light as a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses, right? Um, but our platforms are inside those Ray-Ban sunglasses, right? Right. Or those smartphones or those vehicles or those PCs or those XR goggles or whatever that might be. So that's how we view it is that, Hey, whatever, whatever form it takes, fantastic, super exciting, quite visionary at this point, I think in a lot of ways, but we're ready to provide that access through our platform mm -hmm. and we're continuing to develop our technology to be ready for those experiences. Another thing that has to evolve is connectivity, mm. right? The, the networks, both wireless and Wi-Fi wi based networks in order to enable this idea, this vision of a fully immersive metaverse has to get better, right? Has to improve. Um, and, and in order for that to be ubiquitous, in order for people to have a great experience, in order for people not to get sick, right? Um, uh, as they're kind of cruising through the metaverse. So right. there's a lot of work, work to be done to bring this to life and make it a reality. And uh, it's exciting. It's like you said, it's buzzworthy. Um, a lot of work to be done. We'll be there in whatever form it takes mm -hmm. because we've got the fundamental pieces to the puzzle, both from a, 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 a platform perspective to power these devices at, at high performance, but low, low power and also the connectivity um, to make sure that the experience is ubiquitous and seamless. Um, so that's kind of the way we're looking at ideas like the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, longer term. Shorter term, there's all sorts of great things happening um, that some of it really driven by the last 24 months. Uh, an example I'll give you is PC compute, right? The, I mean, the PC saw a huge revival, right, um, during, during the last 24 months. Prior to the pandemic, the PC market was flat, has been flat to down for years, mm -hmm. right? More and more of what people used to do on their PCs has moved to devices like smartphones, right? Um, and more and more smartphones had, had more and more compute capabilities as they became smarter. Um, and you could do more things. And as your styluses became part, and then you had the tablet space, right, where that also started eating away at the kind of the functionality or the need for a full-blown sort of PC or laptop. But obviously during the pandemic, when everybody had to go home, the PC became more relevant. But the use cases of the PC have changed. Um, and the PC became a major communications device, which it never was before, mm -hmm. right? The main use case for the PC in the past before the pandemic was email, right? you know, and cruising the web and having a bigger screen and kind of sitting at a desk and typing on a keypad and things like that. But fast forward to going into lockdown, all of a sudden you need to be on Zoom or Teams, right? You need to communicate with people. You need to connect. Um, you need to have great connectivity. You need to have a, a good camera. So all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I need a peripheral. I need this peripheral. I need better Wi-Fi. I need to have wireless in my PC because I need to be able to take it outside. All these types of new use cases for the PC sort of came to light through the pandemic, which revived an entire category, but it also transformed what the, what the PC is going to be in the future. The modern compute device in the future is not going to look like it did three years ago. Mm. It's going to have better cameras. It's going to have better, it has to have, has to have better cameras, has to have better audio. It has to do more and act more like a smartphone 
than it's ever had to act in the past. Right. And that's exciting. And that creates opportunity for the whole PC ecosystem to kind of rethink itself, reinvent itself. We're, we're working really closely with Microsoft and, and, and across all the different PC OEMs. Lenovo, we just launched the first 5G ThinkPad um, at Mo Mobile World Congress with Lenovo, the ThinkPad X13, super thin, 28 hours of battery life. Um, awesome camera and audio capabilities powered by Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 platform. And it's a, it's a completely reimagined ThinkPad mm. for kind of the post-pandemic world, the new, work, the new working world, right, yeah. which is hybrid at best, um, fully remote at the most extreme, but hybrid at best. Yeah. And, so, and so that's a really exciting turn of events, and that's happening right now. Yeah. And that's something that you can kind of wrap your, your arms and your head around today um, that has been, you know, driven by this unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance of, of the global pandemic. But it is a very interesting turn of events for a category that was stagnant mm. for years. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I feel like, you know, the pandemic uh, has spurred and, and, you know, fast forwarded a lot of technology innovations that were going to happen anyway. And I think that puts Qualcomm in a super interesting position with a lot of different cool stories to tell. So thank you so much, Don, for your time and for, for walking us through um, all the cool stuff that Qualcomm does and, and is going to continue to do in the future. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. Again, thank you so much for the invite. Um, I love podcasts. So this is, <laughs> this is a great format Good. and I appreciate your time and you know, I'm happy to, to talk again at some point. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.